Chapter Three, Part Three of the Pit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. But the advance brought out no profit-taking sales. The redoubtable Laycraft and the Porteous trio, Fairchild, Patterson, and Goodlock, shook their heads when the pit offered ninety-four for parts of their holdings. The price held firm. Goodlock even began to offer ninety-four. At every suspicion of a flurry, Grossman, always with the same gesture as though hurling a javelin, always with the same lamentable wail of distress, cried out, "'Sell twenty-five May at ninety-five and a fourth. He held his five fingers spread to indicate the number of contracts, or lots of five thousand bushels, which he wished to sell, each finger representing one contract. And it was at this moment that selling orders began suddenly to pour in upon the Gretry Converse traders. Even other houses, Teller and West, Burbank and Company, Mattison and Knight, received their share. The movement was inexplicable, puzzling with a powerful bull clique dominating the trading and every prospect of a strong market, who was it who ventured to sell short? Landry, among others, found himself commissioned to sell. His orders were to unload 300,000 bushels on any advance over and above 94. He kept his eye on Laycraft, certain that he would force up the figure. But, as it happened, it was not Laycraft, but the Porteous trio who made the advance. Standing in the center of the pit, Patterson suddenly flung up his hand and drew it toward him, clutching the air, the conventional gesture of the buyer. "'Give an eighth for May!' Landry was at him in a second. Twenty voices shouted, sold, and as many traders sprang toward him with outstretched arms. Landry, however, was before them, and his rush carried Patterson halfway across the middle space of the pit. "'Sold? Sold?' Patterson nodded and as Landry noted down the transaction, the hand on the dial advanced again, and again held firm. But after this the activity of the pit fell away. The trading languished. By degrees the tension of the opening was relaxed. Landry, however, had refrained from selling more than ten contracts to Patterson. He had a feeling that another advance would come later on. Rapidly he made his plans— he would sell another fifty thousand bushels if the price went to ninety-four and a half, and would then feel the market, letting go small lots here and there to test its strength. Then, the instant he felt the market strong enough, throw a full hundred thousand upon it with a rush before it had time to break. He could feel, almost at his very fingertips, how this market moved, how it strengthened, how it weakened. He knew just when to nurse it, to humor it, to let it settle, and when to crowd it, when to hustle it, when it would stand rough handling. Grossman still uttered his plaint from time to time, but no one so much as pretended to listen. The Porteous trio and Laycraft kept the price steady at ninety-four and an eighth, but showed no inclination to force it higher. For a full five minutes not a trade was recorded. The pit waited for the report on the visible supply and it was during this lull in the morning's business that the idiocy of the English ultimatum to the port melted away. As inexplicably, and as suddenly as the rumor had started, it now disappeared. Everyone simultaneously seemed to ridicule it. England declare war on Turkey, where was the joke? 
who was the damn fool to have started that old worn-out war scare but for all that there was no reaction from the advance it seemed to be understood that either laycraft or the porteous crowd stood ready to support the market and in place of the ultimatum story a feeling began to gain ground that the expected report would indicate a falling off in the visible and that it was quite on the cards that the market might even advance another point as the interest in the immediate situation declined the crowd in the pit grew less dense portions of it were deserted even grossman discouraged retired to a bench under the visitors gallery and a spirit of horseplay sheer foolishness strangely inconsistent with the hot-eyed excitement of the few moments after the opening invaded the remaining groups laycraft the formidable as well as patterson of the porteous gang and even the solemn winston found an apparently inexhaustible diversion in folding their telegrams into pointed javelins and sending them sailing across the room watching the course of the missiles with profound gravity a visitor in the gallery no doubt a western farmer on a holiday having put his feet upon the rail the entire pit began to groan boots 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 a little later a certain broker came scurrying across the floor from the direction of the telephone room panting he flung himself up the steps of the pit forced his way among the traders with vigorous workings of his elbows and shouted a bid he's sick shouted hirsch look out he's sick he's going to have a fit he grabbed the broker by both arms and hustled him into the centre of the pit the others caught up the cry a score of hands pushed the newcomer from man to man the pit traders clutched him pulled his necktie loose knocked off his hat vociferating all the while at top voice he's sick he's sick other brokers and traders came up and grossman mistaking the commotion for a flurry ran into the pit his eyes wide waving his arm and wailing sell twenty-five may at ninety-five and a quarter but the victim good-natured readjusted his battered hat and again repeated his bid ah go to bed protested hirsch he's the man who struck billy patterson say a horse bit him look out for him he's gonna have a duck fit the incident appeared to be the inspiration for a new josh that had a great success and a group of traders organized themselves into an anti-cravat committee and made the rounds of the pit twitching the carefully tied scarfs of the unwary out of place grossman indignant at those monkey doodle business withdrew from the centre of the pit but while he stood in front of laycraft his back turned muttering his disgust the latter while carrying on a grave conversation with his neighbour carefully stuck a file of paper javelins all around the jew's hat-band and then without mirth and still continuing to talk set them on fire landry imagined by now that ninety-four and an eighth was as high a figure as he could reasonably expect that morning and so began to work off his selling orders little by little he sold the wheat short till all but one large lot was gone then all at once and for no discoverable immediate reason wheat amid an explosion of shouts and vociferations jumped to ninety-four and a quarter and before the pit could take breath had advanced another eighth broken to one quarter then jumped to the five-eighths mark it was the report on the visible supply beyond question and though it had not yet been posted 
this sudden flurry was a sign that it was not only near at hand but would be bullish a few moments later it was bulletined in the gallery beneath the dial and proved a tremendous surprise to nearly every man upon the floor no one had imagined the supply was so ample so all-sufficient to meet the demand promptly the pit responded wheat began to pour in heavily hirsch kelly grossman laycraft the stolid winston and the excitable rusbridge were hard at it the price began to give suddenly it broke sharply the hand on the great dial dropped to ninety-three and seven-eighths landry was beside himself he had not foreseen this break there was no reckoning on that cursed visible and he still had fifty thousand bushels to dispose of there was no telling now how low the price might sink he must act quickly radically he fought his way toward the porteous crowd reached over the shoulder of the little jew grossman who stood in his way and thrust his hand almost into patterson's face shouting sell fifty may at seven-eighths it was the last one of his unaccountable selling orders of the early morning the other shook his head sell fifty may at three-quarters suddenly some instinct warned landry that another break was coming it was in the very air around him he could almost physically feel the pressure of renewed avalanches of wheat crowding down the price desperate he grabbed patterson by the shoulder sell fifty may at five-eighths take it vociferated the other as though answering a challenge and in the heart of this confusion in this downward rush of the price luck the golden goddess passed with the flirt and flash of glittering wings and hardly before the ticker in gretry's office had signalled the decline the memorandum of the trade was down upon landry's card and curtis jadwin stood pledged to deliver before noon on the last day of may one million bushels of wheat into the hands of the representatives of the great bulls of the board of trade but by now the real business of the morning was over the pit knew it grossman obstinate hypnotized as it were by one idea still stood in his accustomed place on the upper edge of the pit and from time to time with the same despairing gesture emitted his doleful outcry of sell twenty-five may at ninety-five and three-quarters nobody listened the traders stood around in expectant attitudes looking into one another's faces waiting for what they could not exactly say loath to leave the pit lest something should turn up the moment their backs were turned by degrees the clamor died away ceased began again irregularly then abruptly stilled here and there a bid was called an offer made like the intermittent crack of small arms after the stopping of the cannonade sell five may one-eighth sell twenty-eight one quarter give one-eighth for may for an instant the shoutings were renewed then suddenly the gong struck the traders began slowly to leave the pit one of the floor officers an old fellow in uniform and visored cap appeared gently shouldering toward the door the groups wherein the bidding and offering were still languidly going on his voice full of remonstration he repeated continually time's up gentlemen go on now and get your lunch lunch time now go on now or i'll have to report you time's up the tide set toward the doorways in the gallery the few visitors rose putting on coats and wraps 
over by the check counter to the right of the south entrance of the floor a throng of brokers and traders jostled each other reaching over one another's shoulders for hats and ulsters in steadily increasing numbers they poured out of the north and south entrances on their way to turn in their trading cards to their offices little by little the floor emptied the provision and grain pits were deserted and as the clamor of the place lapsed away the telegraph instruments began to make themselves heard once more together with the chanting of the messenger boys swept clean in the morning the floor itself now seen through the thinning groups was littered from end to end with scattered grain oats wheat corn and barley with wisps of hay peanut shells apple parings and orange peel with torn newspapers odds and ends of memoranda crushed paper darts and above all with a countless multitude of yellow telegraph forms thousands upon thousands crumpled and muddied under the trampling of innumerable feet it was the debris of the battlefield the abandoned impedimenta and broken weapons of contending armies the detrius of conflict torn broken and rent that at the end of each day's combat encumbered the field at last even the click of the last telegraph keys died down shouldering themselves into their overcoats the operators departed calling back and forth to one another making dates and cracking jokes washerwomen appeared with steaming pails porters pushing great brooms before them began gathering the refuse of the floor into heaps between the wheat and corn pits a band of young fellows some of them absolute boys appeared these were the settlement clerks they carried long account books it was their duty to get the trades of the day into a ring to trace the course of a lot of wheat which had changed hands perhaps a score of times during the trading and their calls of wheat sold to teller and west may wheat sold to burbank and company may oats sold to matthewson and knight wheat sold to gretry converse and company began to echo from wall to wall of the almost deserted room a cat gray and striped and wearing a dog collar of nickel and red leather issued from the coat room and picked her way across the floor evidently she was in a mood of the most ingratiating friendliness and as one after another of the departing traders spoke to her raised her tail in the air and arched her back against the legs of the empty chairs the janitor put in an appearance lowering the tall colored windows with a long rod a noise of hammering and the scrape of saws began to issue from a corner where a couple of carpenters tinkered about one of the sample tables then at last even the settlement clerks took themselves off at once there was a great silence broken only by the harsh rasp of the carpenter's saws and the voice of the janitor exchanging jokes with the washerwomen the sound of footsteps in distant quarters re-echoed as if in a church the washerwomen invaded the floor spreading soapy and steaming water before them over by the sample tables a negro porter in shirt sleeves swept entire bushels of spilled wheat crushed broken and sodden into his dustpans the day's campaign was over it was past two o'clock on the great dial against the eastern wall the indicator stood sentinel fashion at ninety-three not till the following morning would the whirlpool the great central force that spun the niagara of wheat in its grip 
thunder and bellow again. Later on, even the washerwomen, even the porter and janitor, departed. An unbroken silence, the peacefulness of an untroubled calm, settled over the place. The rays of the afternoon sun flooded through the west windows in long, parallel shafts full of floating golden motes. There was no sound. Nothing stirred. The floor of the Board of Trade was deserted. Alone on the edge of the abandoned wheat pit, in a spot where the sunlight fell warmest, an atom of life lost in the immensity of the empty floor. The gray cat made her toilet, diligently licking the fur on the inside of her thigh, one leg, as if dislocated, thrust into the air above her head. End of chapter 3